Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. This is John Katsimatidis. We're back. And uh, what's today? I mean, it's Thursday, almost a weekend, uh, guys. And uh, in the studio with us today, we have uh, some common sense Democrats, common sense Republicans. We have Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor David Patterson, and Chairman of the uh, New York State GOP, Ed Cox. And uh, how, are we, how are we doing with the uh, – can we breathe outside yet, Ed? You outside uh, – not quite yet. Not, Not quite, quite yet. yet. No. I mean, the problems are still coming in from Canada. It's still coming in. It'll come in. It'll uh, and, and You know what I told back. everybody? And I said it on Rudy's show this morning. I told Sid to tell the people that when you walk around and all this crap is in the air, make sure you, you, you shampoo your hair in the morning and at night. Why? Uh, you know, why? Because you have, you have all those crap particles in your hair and you go to sleep in your, or in your pillow, you, you know, you go around the pillow, then you put it in your face and your eyes. Now, here's the question for a common sense answer. And if do you, you have wear, a beard, you better take care of this. Do you wear masks or not? Doctors say, yeah, it, it's better than nothing. That's for sure. And also put drops in well, your they, eyes, they're the saying. Doctors you know? also say that the only mask, you, you don't wear a make-believe mask. You have, you have to be of a, like that. What is the it? KN95. KN95. Those are yeah. like almost the construction guys, you know. By the way, there's been a run on them. You couldn't find them anywhere almost in any of the drugstores. Hot, hot ticket now, items. Not now, to mention now, air cleaners are out, sold out. Yes. Let's go to Canada to find out what the heck is going on in Canada with these fires. Rita, you want to bring her in? Yep, we've got uh, Marike Derousse. Uh, she is, of course, the communications officer of the Canadian Interagency Forest Fire Center. And uh, Marike, thank you so much for being with us. What the heck is going on? They they blame it all on Canada and the fires. Uh, tell us about what's going on there. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, well, right now, Canada, we're sitting at a national preparedness level of, of five, which is our most heightened level of risk. Uh, our fires uh, season started exceptionally early this year, and we have fires burning from coast to coast to coast, uh, with the most fires happening in Alberta and Quebec and Ontario, and we just had some in Nova Scotia as well. So really across the country, we're, we're seeing significant fire activity. Now, Marika, this is John Katsimatidis. There was a couple of, of stories around uh, that on radar or solar uh, radar from the satellites, uh, some of them, when a lot of the fires went on at the same time, suggesting it might have been terrorism. Any chance of that? Uh, well, that's uh, that's beyond the scope of what SIFSI does. Uh, specifically, what our organization is responsible for is the mobilization of resources and uh, personnel uh, from our agent partner agencies, so the provinces and territories. So uh, that is not something that we can speak to. Well, I understand. I mean, uh, that your department. Uh, I, I just worry about it. How how are we doing? Are we putting out the fires? Do you have enough resources? Do you have enough um, uh, men or women putting out these fires? 
Yeah, we absolutely do. So domestically, uh, we have been having trouble to keep up with the demand. So fortunately, we have uh, very strong international partnerships, uh, the U.S. being one of them. Uh, we've uh, called upon our other partners from Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, South Africa uh, to also come uh, and help us out. So uh, fortunately, we have had over a thousand uh, folks from abroad to come come help us out, including over 500 Americans. So we're we're very fortunate to have to have that uh, that connection and that that positive relationship that really helps helps keep us out of the woods, so to speak. Marika, it's uh, Ed, Ed Cox here. Uh, these are annual events, are they? At this time of year, you always have forest fires in Canada. It's just that this is an unusually big uh, number of forest fires. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So uh, traditionally, our fire season starts in April, uh, nation- nationally speaking, uh, and it ends in, se- ends in September. So uh, by the time March rolled around, or sorry, by the time May rolled around, we were already at uh, National Preparedness Level Five, and normally we're we're nowhere near that. So this year was exceptional. That being said, uh, not every year is uh, crazy like this. Like last year, for example, we didn't reach a, a level of five at all. Uh, we stayed relatively low and it was fire activity um, was was relatively calm but of course it is cyclical it's a, a cyclical in nature so every few years we see a, a big spike but uh, certainly the the amount of hectares burnt uh, is, is significant this year compared to others. Marika I have uh, the former governor of New York State uh, Governor Patterson you have a question governor. Marika, I was thinking about some commentary that I read yesterday from people in California that what New York was experiencing now is what they experience in August and September in Northern California and October, November in Southern California every year. But I don't think that that's correct. I think what you said earlier, that it was amazing that a fire of this magnitude would uh, occur at this time of year in June as opposed to later on, and also the fact that uh, the intensity of the fire and the uh, length at which it's been able to travel is is very unique and that makes me wonder what caused this because obviously we would want to try to stop this from happening again of course yeah that's that's a great uh, observation there so uh on Canada's west coast, uh, the fire season typically starts a little later, um, so it, it can start usually at the end of end of May, even as late as end of June. Uh, so that would explain the later uh, occurrence of smoke uh, down into California and Washington and uh, Oregon. So on the east coast, uh, it was unusual the amount of fire that has happened uh, already here. So last year, we uh, on the East Coast experienced uh, a significant hurricane, Hurricane Fiona. And uh, and now as a result, uh, there has been a lot of uh, trees that have been down. There's just a lot of fuel out there. So, of course, with our dry weather, uh, it Combined with the fuel, it was kind of a perfect storm for fires. So that explains the uh, the timing of of the the later smoke on the west coast and the smoke that's happening now a little earlier in the year on the east coast. How long do you think it will last? You must have a a pulse, a little bit of a pulse. 
Yeah, sure. Well, we're fortunate enough to work very closely with meteorologists and fire scientists uh, specializing in, in the fire situations in Canada. And uh, typically, uh, based on history, we know that fire season usually wraps up around September. Uh, but of course, these things are, are not... I'm talking about uh, how much control you have in a situation now. Is it, Do you have enough firemen? Do you have enough airplanes to drop... Uh, uh, water or, or fire retardant or anything like that. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Okay, sure. Well, um, we've had to ask, as I mentioned before, we've had to knock on the door of our international partners uh, because right now, uh, domestically, we're, we're, we're stretched. Uh, that being said, the needs of, of demand and availability uh, changes uh, almost on an hourly basis. So, um, you know, our fire season or our, our significant fire on the East Coast recently wrapped up. So that uh, made available quite a few resources here that then went uh, to Quebec and uh, and and westward, further westward. So while we are we do feel stressed, we are stretched. We uh, we are still not in a crisis situation in, uh, in terms of our resources anyway. And uh, we we have our international relationships to. to Marika, we're out of time, but thank you for coming on and thank you for briefing us and I don't understand uh, why the environmentalists are taking uh, credit for this and say oh it's a fossil fuel problem because what does fossil fuels have to do with a forest fire Right. Well, uh, again, that's not something that we at SIFSI can uh, can speak to. But what Understood. we can say is, I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want you to get into trouble with your prime minister. Yeah, there's just a lot of questions here. By the way, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on, and we'll talk to you again real soon. If you have anything to report, please call WABC. You bet. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Thank, thank you, and stay safe there and, too. And now we have the. Uh, We've got the, Rona McDaniel, uh, the head. RNC chairwoman. We love Arona and I Rona. Love tough women. Yeah, we, he does. He sits next to one every night here. Okay, so you know Rona. So um. we, we love you. I love you guys. I just I want to be in studio one day. Are you guys being safe? How's the how's the smoke out there? Yeah, yeah. we're safe. And I I advised everybody the, uh, that they better shampoo their hair before going to bed because they got all that crap in their hair. Yeah, it is really oh, bad. That's a great point. That's a great point. We have a little bit of it in Michigan. There's a little bit of smoke in the Detroit area, but not like what you have in New York. Well, things are getting hot uh, with well, the debate. I, I heard some people. <laughs> some people were saying that it was uh, it was the environmentalists are saying that it's uh, fossil fuel, climate change, and and some people say it must have been Trump's fault. Yeah, everything's <laughs> Trump's everything's fault. Everything's always blamed on him, right? I mean. Listen, we know that forest management is real. We all can go and look in a in a dense forest, and when you see dead trees and, and it gets dry out and you don't have rain, it's like a tinderbox. And this is why these environmentalists have to understand that part of conservation is forest management. And that's where Republicans make sense, right? We are for conservation. We You're going to save more forest land and you're going to save more trees by good forest management and that's why we've had problems in California, and that's why they're having problems in Canada. Well, uh, Rona, let's get to uh, the debates, because um, obviously sure. that is on the horizon. Um, and, of course, Pence got in <laughs> yesterday and the day before we had Chris Christie. Uh, are you going to have, do you think, one night of debates, two night of GOP primary debates? Do you think more people are going to jump in? Yeah, I'm wondering, John, you, the field, you know, the water is fine. You want to jump in? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ron, I, I had uh, what about I had Ed lunch. Cox or Judge Weinberg had, or anyone else? I had lunch yesterday with Dick Morris. 
Oh, yeah, that's true. And what Dick, he Morris, Dick Morris says he's advising President Trump not to debate because uh, uh, the, all the other people are irrelevant. Well, and also, that's what he told us, John. Remember, he did an interview with us a couple weeks yes. ago, and he said, and he said, it to he me said if at lunch. we're high, if he's high, you know, big margin and has a big advantage, why debate? There's only a downside. Your thoughts, Rona, where's it going? Yeah, I think he's being advised that by people on his team. I, I, I take a different tack, which is, uh, why not take that opportunity to get in front of the American people and make a, the case against Joe Biden? I, and I don't, I'm not, we're going to have a nomination process and there's a primary process, but I think all of our candidates should be using the debate stage to contrast us against the Democrats. And we want to make sure we're getting that message out to voters before the general. So that's what I think. I think using that time wisely is very And, and the major, and the major channels early. will carry the debates? Yes. Oh, yeah. Because they Everybody fired they fired the guy from CNN for having yeah. that CNN only has three hundred thousand people on, on uh, a night, and they fired <laughs> him because he put President Trump on. He had three three and a half million li- uh, viewers. My God, yeah, you doing right? business? Fire him. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so crazy. And by the way, they've done debates since then, John, with Nikki Haley and others. And, and, you know, we have everybody on, but Nikki Haley's ratings were 80% lower than Trump's. Wow. I mean, so you would think they'd say Trump every night based on those numbers. Governor Patterson, yeah. you want to say, you want to say something to our national well, chairman? Well, I thought in 2015, it was really the summer of 2015 when they started the debates, uh, for the, uh, 2016 election that Donald Trump distinguished himself with his ability to make everyone watch him and ignore the people around him. So I don't see any reason why he needs to stay home when they have a debate, even if a few people watch it, because he just has the ability to do that. And there are just not many people. And I don't agree with him about too many things, but there are not many people that have that kind of charisma. Wow. It's saying that from a Democrat, Rona. That's a former Democratic governor. Look, I I didn't say that. Listen, I thought he had good foreign policy. If you gave me two hours, I could think of another thing he did well. But I think that was was really his great. How about protecting our border, Governor? Yeah, that's a good job on that, didn't he? Yeah, that would be a refreshing change to go back to that. That's from another Democrat, by the way, Rona. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Rona, so Rona. But let let me ask you, because one of the criteria, right, for the debate is also that they have to pledge to support the ultimate GOP nominee. Um, yeah, so we call it the beat Biden pledge. I mean, here's what we're hearing. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm traveling the country every day and I talk to people who are really hurting, right? They have family members dying of fentanyl. Their kids are dealing with massive deficits coming out of the pandemic and the lockdowns. You've got crime skyrocketing. Inflation is killing households across this country and we have an energy crisis. And so they're saying we need to win. And so this is called the beat Biden pledge. And my point is, I don't want to give time on a debate stage and have people get up there and then come out of this and say, I'm not going to support the eventual nominee. Because the first criteria of anybody running for president in our party should be that the ultimate goal is to beat Biden. It shouldn't be about beating each other. You know, we have a lot of similarities in our party. The differences between us are very, very minor compared to the catastrophe we're seeing from the Democrats. So Although it's going to be rough and tumble. Rhoda, I mean, you've already heard the swipes. You know, they hey. need to, yeah, but they need to pledge to beat Biden because at the end of the day, we need to keep our eye on what this is about. And we can't, you know, we, there's going to be vitriol. It's going to be mean. I'm not saying they have to hug each other or be best friends. 
But we do need to be committed as a party that we need to take back the White House and support who the voters well, choose. Ronna, Ed Cox here. What we do hope at the end of it, they are best friends, right? And it's one team yeah. going forward. I agree. Thank you, Ad. Hey there. We love Ed Cox. You're great uh, we here. appreciate <laughs> what you're doing. You're already uh, have a center set up here in New York, a Hispanic center in one of our congressional dis- districts. And we thank you Mike for that. Mike Waller's district. We need New York to be strong. You know, in, in a presidential year, we got to hold these House seats that gave us the majority. Well, and thanks to all of you. If and WABC Ed. helps, New York will be strong for uh, Ed Cox. Yeah, we love that. But um, the debate criteria is strong. I am hoping we have one debate stage. I hope President Trump debates. I am encouraging him. I don't agree with Dick Morris. I think everybody should get on the debate stage because people do want to see them talk about policy and they do want to see how we're going to make their lives better. Rona, when do you think you'll find out um, who will accept it? Like, and, and have you gotten any indication from Trump himself if he's going to debate? When do they have to make that call? I'm curious. So my guess is, knowing him, that he'll keep us guessing. <laughs> <laughs> Up until five minutes before, right, Rona? I guess you know him pretty well. I don't know. Just, just, a, just a little guess in my mind. that He'll keep us guessing till the very end. They, we'll have to know about 48 hours before, but I'm hopeful he'll do it. I think everybody else is trying to get on it. We've, we've made some pretty strict debate criteria, and I've said I don't want this to be a stage for trying out for cabinet positions or media contracts or book deals. We have serious business to attend to to put forward a nominee to take on Joe Biden. And I know we all make fun of Joe Biden and we think he's diminished uh, as president and the policies that he's put forward, but he has a machine. I mean, look at what they just did in Nevada. They just gave 25 million to the culinary union basically to turn out the vote. They're weaponizing the government. They're turning it into an election operation machine. The inflation reduction act gave a registration budget to every single department of the federal government. And Biden has a lot of money, our taxpayer money at his disposal that he's going to use so we can't underestimate uh, how serious his, this threat is, and we have to take back the White House, and we can only do that as a united GOP. By the way, did you see the comments uh, just uh, like maybe like an hour or so ago um, with uh, Joe Biden in the press, or he's with the British Prime Minister? Yeah, of course it was the very scr- right, 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 right. You're right. Well, it was very yeah, exactly right, and it was very scripted. <laughs> it was very interesting, and then suddenly at the end, the unscripted question where he said, "Oh, I'm not supposed to answer any," and it was Peter Alexander, my buddy from NBC who asked him about the Comer documents and all that stuff. It's like malarkey. He started laughing. Show me the money. Uh, he acts like not a care in the world. And then he said he's not doing any influence whatsoever on the DOJ and FBI, that he would never uh, said they're totally independent. Right. What's your reaction? Are you rolling your eyes like Ed is right now? And I'm, even the gov is laughing. Eyes. Yes. I, if I could, if you could see my eyes roll, I mean, it was, it's, it's pretty dramatic right now, but we know that this isn't true, and, and I've said this many, many times. We have a president who's compromised by China. We have seen this. Thank goodness we won the House. I want to congratulate um, Representative Comer and the work he's done to uncover these payments that came from foreign governments to many, many members of the Biden family. And now we've seen the, the interference in getting this whistleblower document that may show that Vice President Joe Biden took money. This is egregious. To see our vice president monetizing the position and taking money from foreign governments and influencing well, our policy. I, I hope uh, nothing bad happens to, to, to Joe Biden because we end up with um, we yeah, Kamala. Harris, Kamala. Kamala. <laughs> thank you, Ro. Thank you, Rona, so much for coming on. Thank and you, we'll Rona. catch up with you again Daddy, real soon. Thank you. 
And we just launched a bankyourvote.gop. So go go you look bet. at the website. We need people to bank their votes, okay? V- vote early. Thanks, vote early. We got to talk about that. I, ho- I, ho- I hope you have enough people to watch those polls. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Thanks, guys. Uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, Tony Schaefer on Tony Schaefer, former CIA. Yeah, and he's got the goods about uh, Cuba setting up basically a China. And Cuba spy is uh, putting out. Put, Cuba is now putting out information. That, oh no, we're not going to do connect up with China. Let's take that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katzimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we are back here on Cats and Cosby, and this was stunning. A little, a few hours ago, Tehran showing off this hypersonic missile uh, in Iran, the first ever in Iran. Guess who helped them? China. And this comes as there are reports that China is planning on building a spy base, possibly in Cuba. Joining us now, And there's John, denials. There's denials. There's denials. But you never know who's telling the truth. You mean we could uh, trust Cuba or China? Is that what you're saying? You can trust, absolutely trust Cuba. You know, <laughs> I, I once bought counterfeit cigars in Cuba. Oh, well, then you can definitely trust them. Were they, were they uh, Cohibas or not? <laughs> Supposedly Cohibas. Oh, well, then maybe we'll change our mind. All right, let's but go. You, 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 couldn't, you couldn't take a drag on them. <laughs> Don't sound so Tony Schaefer, what the heck is going on? Tell us. Former CIA John, the next official. Time you buy, the next time you buy cigars, make sure they don't like taste like bubble gum. Those are not real cigars. <laughs> yeah. <you? laughs> Good to know. I, I bought them. Right. We were walking around the flea market in Havana with, an, with a former congressman from New Jersey. And they, 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 this guy, is not, it's about 100 degrees. And Frank Guarini, Frank, you know, Governor Patterson, you remember Frank Guarini? Yeah. I remember yeah. him, yeah. And... and, and this guy comes up to us, it's 100 degrees with a big overcoat on. Did he have it Opens in his up coat? his overcoat and says, I got Havana cigars for you, only $20 a box. That sounds very reputable. <laughs> Wait, was that the same trip I was on with you, John, or was that a different Cuba been. trip? Was Frank Guarini on that trip? I think he was. Then I you were on that trip with me. Well, I have, by you the way, and Curtis and, uh, I might have bought it from the same guy because I had a couple of my own boxes on the way back. So, what do you think? <laughs> Who's telling the truth? Who's lying? Or is everybody lying? So you need to look at the statements, John. Basically, the White House, when they said uh, the reports are, quote, unquote, inaccurate, that's a non-denial denial. So I think uh, the Pentagon, the White House, they all know, you know, Burns over CIA, they are aware this is going on. And I think they're trying to downplay it because that's been the policy is to to basically be nice to China no matter what. And at this point, based on the research I did uh, earlier today for, for this interview and some other things, there's every indication the Chinese have invested heavily into Cuba. Cuba has a, a real crisis regarding economy. The Chinese are willing to fill that void with some hard currency. And, yeah, they, they need, John, for purposes of surveilling us, especially if we decide to respond to some of their aggression, what we're going to do with the Atlantic fleet, with uh, the, the resources in Florida. A sig- signals intelligence base is what they're going for. will give them a great deal of intelligence regarding what we're doing in the southwestern, southeastern United States. So I think it's totally, I think everybody's lying, to be honest with you. Yeah, and do they, I don't know, you were former CIA. What, year, what years did you serve? Oh, I served uh, 30 and a half years, and I was actually a military operative. We were, wow. you know, we're all trained by Good. CIA. But yeah, you know, uh, I served from 1981 to 2011, 30 and a half wow. years. Okay. 
I'd say uh, that's, that's an interesting. Yes, that's her good. Uh, uh, Judge Weinberg, you got a question? Okay, good to talk to you again, Tony. It's been a whole day. Yeah, whole day. Wait, you did a podcast, right? That's right. We, you, okay, good. That's great. Right. Yeah, great, great interview. Yes, thank you. What I want to ask you about is these new yes, reports sir. about uh, the delivery system that China is allegedly given to uh, to Iran, and what's the significance of that? We talked about this a little bit yesterday, Judge. So basically, the Saudis have already purchased their nuclear weapons. They have them sitting in Pakistan in a warehouse in Ruapendi. We know this. And uh, it's funny that the, the, the Chinese have also provided the Saudis ballistic missile capability to mount the warheads on. And now China is, you know, playing both sides against the middle. They're going to do the same thing with the Iranians, which with what I suspect is uh, probably 20 to 25 kiloton nuclear warheads that would be able to take out uh, something of the size of Hiroshima or a little bit more. But yeah, I, I mean, they could do a lot of damage and hurt a lot of people. But now the Ed Cox here, Tony, they yeah, have, but they have not supplied the Russians, have they? No, they have not. Why is that? Well, I think the Russians have their own uh, technology capabilities. Remember, this is the, these guys all deal with each other behind the scenes. For example, in North Korea, the Russians were the one coaching the North Koreans on their weapons program. So, the honest answer is every one of those countries has uh, motivation to work together to find a way to defend, uh, to, to prepare and develop weapons that will destroy our allies. And the last thing we want at this point, which is what I think is developing, and the Biden administration is not doing to stop it, is a Middle East uh, uh, Cold War between Saudi Arabia, the, the Sunni, and the uh, Iranians, the Shia. And the, the people are going to get caught in the middle of the, is, the, is the Israelis, which I'm very concerned about. And what do they we do, are, Tony? What do the Israelis well, we, do in this situation now? We need, we need to actually, again, what the judge and I talked about this yesterday, they need to basically act on their own to pick up the Abraham Accords and move forward with that, with or without us. There, there are interests within the Saudi Arabian nation, within other Middle Eastern nations, Egypt, to continue that process of economic prosperity and development of the region. That's the best bet. Uh, at this point, unfortunately, we cannot count on Joe Biden and this administration to take a leadership role. Let the Israelis take the lead with the Saudis, with the Egyptians, and do something to, to prepare for and try to dissuade the Iranians from having weapons that can do some do damage to the region. And uh, Governor David Patterson? Uh, Tony, uh, given all the time of your service, why is it that the United States has never done what our adversaries have done, which is to... Uh, enlist each other's support. In other words, why aren't we taking our allies right now and training them how to have warheads on their campuses because they're actually closer to the enemy than we are? So there's been a policy, uh, Governor, it's a great question, that we would defend them. We had the nuclear umbrella. This goes back to the 1960s that basically we wanted to dissuade them for the very purpose I just mentioned. We don't want nuclear warheads getting out of control. And I think that's the biggest fear. I think we've all seen the movie, The Sum of All Fears, where a nuclear device ends up in Baltimore. Right. That's the sort of thing we were trying to avoid. And I actually worked with Ambassador Hank Cooper, you know, you all know Hank, on uh, programs back in the mid-2000s uh, on this, where we would try to find a way to detect these things going loose. And we still work on those things. But the idea is, at this point, unfortunately, Governor, nobody trusts the United States because of Joe Biden. And I, I, I'm not saying this is a partisan issue. I'm just saying the allies don't trust them. Therefore, we know now Japan, to, your, to use your example, is ready to build their own weapons. They're about six six months away from having their own weapon any given time. They've prepared the materials. They just haven't gone forward. Yes. Well, I mean, so great I, answer. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah that's thank a Schaefer, uh, we should have you on more often because so many problems in the world. And and uh, the, the f- first people to, uh, to, to, to show it was Saudi Arabia. 
Saudi Arabia doesn't trust Washington. Wow. And uh, Israel, this Washington. Israel, Israel doesn't trust the White House. Yeah, there were. You just heard Tony Schaefer, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, 30 years experience saying it's the Biden White House that they are worried. Tony Schaefer, we're going to talk to you again real soon. Absolutely, and I, I appreciate being the bearer of bad news on your show. Thank you. <laughs> Tony, thank you. Let's take, let's take a break, and when we come back... We've got Andrew McCarthy talking about will Trump be indicted eminently. Big news. And I have my own opinion, but who knows who's right and who's wrong. we got to hear let, let's, uh, We'll come back, but let's take that break. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we are back here on Katz and Cosby, and everybody watching to see could an indictment be imminent against President Trump? Another one, this one coming from the special counsel, Jack Smith, joining us now to talk about all of this is the former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Andy McCarthy. Andy, um, you know, I saw you earlier today on TV, and um, I just want to have you repeat this. This was really powerful, that basically you believe since the president's attorneys have been told he's a target of the investigation, uh, federal, and this is tied to classified documents and obstruction of justice, all that stuff, um, that you believe by being told he's a target, you almost certainly think that an indictment's coming. Yeah, Rita, that's generally what target means. There's uh, three buckets that we use in federal prosecution, target, subject, and witness. Uh, A witness is somebody who doesn't have any exposure, just has relevant information about the case, like the the teller in the bank if the bank gets robbed. A subject is somebody who the grand jury is examining their behavior and they may or may not be charged. You know, it could go one way or the other. Uh, When you tell someone the person is a target of the investigation, uh, that pretty much tells the person that the prosecutor has made up his mind that there's enough evidence to charge and there's an intention to do that. So you believe, uh, based on your experience, it's imminent? How do you read that? Yeah, I think it's imminent because uh, for a few reasons. Number one, there's been a lot of reporting, which I have no reason to think is inaccurate, that uh, Jack Smith, who is the special counsel, uh, is at the end of his investigation. Uh, The fact that that the Justice Department gave uh, former President Trump's lawyers a meeting so that they could try to talk the Justice Department and Smith out of uh, bringing an indictment uh, indicates that they're kind of at the end of the road. Uh, it looks like the lawyers then briefed former President Trump about the meeting they had at the Justice Department, uh, and he pretty uh, instantly went on his social media site and, you know, basically railed that he, uh, you know, can't believe that they're about to indict him. Uh, which sure suggests that at the meeting that was the message that was conveyed. So you know, Andy, a lot of indicators. I want to get your take on, on Judge Weinberg, what we talked about the other day. And you were talking about Dershowitz and some others. Basically, if they go after obstruction of justice, there has to be an underlying crime. And you feel... Well, the, the, issue, well, the issue is if you don't have an underlying crime, you don't go after him for obstruction. That's what Alan Dershowitz said. Uh, yeah, I think Alan's Alan's wrong about that. You okay. don't. Uh, you do not need to have a crime to go uh, after procedural crime to, go, to protect some uh, to prosecute someone for obstruction of justice. And in point of fact, uh, there were several 
um, subjects of the Mueller investigation, I believe, who were, you know, there were no underlying crimes in the Mueller investigation. I was going to say there was not. We're like, that was a joke. But let me raise this. It's not a joke to the people who got convicted. No kidding. Of process crimes, you know, yeah. they're no process crimes or process crimes. But let me raise yeah. this to you because you had a very interesting article. You're talking about Trump saying he's the victim of selective prosecution. And you point out correctly, the real analogy is to the Hillary Clinton situation. Yeah. The problem is, and I wish you'd explain it to the listeners. Selective prosecution is not a, a legal defense, but it may lead to yeah. a jury nullification, which goes back to another article you had, which is why are they looking at a, a grand jury both in Florida and in D.C.? Would you explain that for us, please? Yeah, sure. So um, when you're arguing that you were selectively prosecuted, you could bring a motion uh, prior to trial arguing that, uh, you know, you should you were chose you were selectively prosecuted. You were singled out when other people who do the same thing haven't been prosecuted. Those motions legally almost always fail, but it's a good argument to make to prosecutors why they should exercise their discretion not to bring a case because they've set precedents that they would be violating by prosecuting you. The problem for President Trump is that it looks like they've already decided they're going to live with the fact that they gave Hillary Clinton a pass and they're going to charge him anyway. And if he ends up in a, a jury trial, it's not a defense in a jury trial that somebody else who committed a crime similar to your crime wasn't prosecuted when you were. A jury in uh, a case against President Trump will only be asked to weigh whether he committed the offenses that he's charged with, not not whether somebody else should have been charged with a similar uh, uh, crime. And then on the matter of the fact that he's got two different grand juries going, I, I, I've kind of changed my mind in the last 24 hours on the basis of um, – some other reporting. I now think that um, Smith is moving the bulk of the case to Florida, even though they would like to litigate the case in Washington because the jury pool is uh, much more high. Which leads to jury nullification. Would you explain that, please? Yeah, sure. Jury jury nullification is a non-legal argument to a jury to try to persuade it that in fairness, they should not convict. So the the issue for every jury is told that it's supposed to decide the case based solely on the facts that are presented in court and the instructions on the law that the court gives. And that if a person has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt to be guilty under the court's instructions as the evidence came out, they're supposed to convict. However, in our system, we permit a jury to acquit. Uh, even in a case where they should convict. The court doesn't encourage it, uh, but if a jury hates the case, uh, even if somebody is technically so guilty, could this be Andrew McCarthy, we're almost out of time, but we've got another minute left. Can this be a big charade? In other words, they tell the American people, oh, uh, we're indicting him, so 80% of the American people think, oh, he's being indicted, he must be guilty. So they already have accomplished their their goal to make people eighty percent of the American people feel he's guilty. Well, I don't I don't know, John. I mean, the uh, you know <laughs> he was behind in some of the polls when when Alvin Bragg indicted him, and suddenly after that happened, he was ahead by twenty or thirty points, right? So I think a lot of the people may think he's guilty, but a lot of a lot of people may think that his political opposition is trying to nullify him. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. 
You know. All right. Thank you so much, Andrew McCarthy. And we're going to have you on again soon. And, uh, I pray for justice in America. You know, that's uh, truth, justice in the American way. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Now? We got Melissa DeRosa, who was the former right-hand person to then Governor Andrew Cuomo. Uh, Melissa, a lot to talk with you about. Let's first get to, if we can, um, you want to talk a little bit about Hochul, right? Uh, like, and, uh, and everything. Where has she been on the migrant issue? Where has she been also on all the air quality issue? Uh, all the, everything that we're seeing outside today. Hey, Rita. Great to be back with all of you guys. Um, so, no, I mean, it's sort of a continuation of this pattern where the state is just completely rudderless. And we saw this, you know, on crime in the subways going into the fall up until the moment that Kathy Hochul looked like she could lose to Lee Zeldin. And finally, she started to engage on the crime issue. You know, we saw it out in western New York with that historic storm where 47 people died in a snowstorm, which is crazy to think about in 2023. And then, you know, with the migrant stuff, which has been going on since last August, was the first time that the first, you know, busload of people showed up from from Texas. You know, she sort of put her head in the sand. And then when you saw what happened in the last couple of days, the air quality issue in New York State, you know, the city was was at insane levels on the, the air index. We were at 380, I believe, which is, you know, you need to be under 100 in order for this for the air to be to be healthy. And we were just off the charts. And she didn't say anything. And she didn't do anything for a day and a half. It wasn't until yesterday at 5 p.m. that she finally held a press conference. And so, you know, I think it's sort of more of the same, Rita, of we are at a moment right now where the state, which I think has traditionally been used to a really strong executive, both with the legislature, but then also in a crisis, we're in this situation where Kathy Hochul is just completely MIA and nowhere to be found. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. I keep thinking, you know, she's going to figure out this job at some point, And she's just not. You know, I want to ask you, uh, Melissa DeRosa, uh, there's something brewing. What about reparations in, uh, in Albany? I mean, please tell me this is not correct. Uh, Governor Patterson, how much do you get? In, in reparations? Yes. When, uh, it, when I, uh, when it became January 1st of 2011, they called me an Uber. <laughs> I thought he gets reparations for being on the show with us, but that's a whole other matter. Melissa, is this true that there's like something beyond Ubers? Well, this is, you know, the end of session kind of madness, and Governor Patterson can speak to this, but this is sort of the moment where the bills that the various interest groups want to get passed, the legislature is going to run with. There's super majorities in both houses. So you have an overwhelming number of Democrats in both houses. And so they're just sort of lurching from thing to thing. You know, they're doing the clean slate bill. It looks like we'll get done before session is over. That's going to seal criminal convictions for felonies and for misdemeanors after various periods of time so that employers and others won't be able to check those things when they're hiring people. All right. Hold and on. Hey, Cox, you got to react to that clean slate bill. That is that is incredible. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, clean slate. That, that means someone who's doing a hiring uh or their office, and they don't know if the guy's a murderer. <laughs> you want me? To, they want me to hire murderers to be in Gristides and Agostino? No, you wouldn't know if it's a murderer. They well, want to clean we'll the slate. We'll, we'll see what the we'll see what the final details are. I mean, I am hearing that you know the the governor is very focused on um, 
you know, trying to make sure this isn't going to be something that hurts them politically and understanding sort of, you know, what happened in the 2022 election cycle. You know, you just got you just sort of dealt with the bail reform issue to the extent that they dealt with it. I still think that that's not going away because I don't think that they did dangerousness, which would have totally, you know, I think sort of taken it off the table. But now you see them doing clean slate, which, you know, even in this conversation, it's like you can very easily we'll see what the final details are. But I hear that they're trying to rein it in to deal with things like murder, obviously sexual assault. Oh, how nice. How nice. that they. they, I mean, Melissa, I'm disgusted with the whole thing. But go ahead, Judge. Uh, Melissa, it's uh, Richard Weinberg. Look, there are a whole bunch of felonies, violent felonies and nonviolent felonies that really hurt our society. And they just can't give a clean slate to these things. People are entitled to know who they're dealing with. And this is a real problem. You know, look, I think that there, I think that the intention is a good one. I think how it gets done, gets done practically is going to be everything. And what is it that's being sealed and who is it being sealed from and how are they determining what's relevant? You know, if you want to go be a bus driver, I would argue that the city that's hiring you, municipality that's hiring you should know if you had a drunk driving issue in the past, you know, like things that are relevant. You're working at daycare center and you have child abuse. Right. Well, exactly. And so I think there's going to be a lot of nuance. And, you know, I'm going to reserve judgment until I see the final product. But I do think, given how hot the the whole crime issue has been and what everyone just went through on bail and the Democrats, you know, are really trying to sort of get that monkey off their back for them to do something like this. I think is sort of a gift to the Republicans politically. And then if it's not done properly, governmentally, it can be a disaster. So we'll uh, see. Look, the crime issue, Melissa, is not going to go away. (laughs) It's it's there. and This is just going to add more fuel to that fire and and appropriately. So, I mean, how do you, uh, you you often plead down charges just to get someone convicted? So someone who may have committed murder, it's a simple manslaughter or something, but really the guy's a murderer. Yeah, it's going to be very hard for them to to clean up the uh, the the clean bill. Yeah, no, and and we'll see. You know, the business community is on board with aspects of it because of the underemployment issue, but at the same time, you know, again, politically, we'll see. If, you said if the business community is behind it. I want to. I want a list of the, certain, the dumb CEOs. Yeah, I'm fairly certain the uh, the business council I think has endorsed a version of the bill. I want to. I want to make a list of the dumb CEOs so I can put them in the New York Post and take a whole page on it. I think so, you're going to need to take out the whole paper. By but, the way, but, uh, <laughs> not, not just the only, one page. The only thing, John, is that they have a real problem trying to employ people upstate and other parts of the state. So you're going to hire murderers? No, I'm not well, saying that you hire murderers. It's just that they're looking for a pathway. And look, they don't even need to go to people with previous criminal records. You have people with no criminal records called migrants, and they could move. But they might have been gotten out of the jail in Venezuela. Yeah, we haven't even vetted them. You'll never know. Is the city going to guarantee it? Well, and to to Governor Patterson's point, John, and and I've been hammering this, and I think that others have too on the show. You know, if Biden were to do an executive order that allowed the migrants to start working that are here, they could, number one, be able to afford to provide for themselves instead of having to, t- you know, get money from taxpayers and two, could deal with some of this underemployment issue. And so it's sort of like you have this problem and you have a solution staring you in the face and everyone's just sticking their head. In well, the my so. other solution is seal the border. Seal the border. Yeah, that's seal the solution. The yeah, that's Forget the about solution. the working papers. Seal thank the border. You, Melissa DeRosa, we love you. Thank you we for do. coming on and thank you for being a tough gal. And uh, I love tough gals. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. 
John, before I go, I have to say, you should buy CNN. I saw that on Twitter <laughs> and in the paper, and I'm on board. Thank <laughs> yep. you. Thank you so much. We uh, agree. Uh, we agree. <laughs> and uh, look, uh, uh, I'm, you know, with CNN, Rita, I'm the only one with a little bit of common sense that uh, I respect Democrats, I respect re- Republicans, and a com- Bring it together. And by the way, you would be one of the only people, John, who the mantle of CNN was to be fair and to be covering everybody. That was sort of the well, new bring version. Back Ted Turner. And then John Ted Turner. Always, exactly. uh, well, bring the, back Ted Turner. Well, you can we want to bring the, you first. Uh, a new title to the Common Sense News Network. There you go. There well, no, you go. CNN. CNN, Cats News Network. That's good, too. Thank you, Melissa. We'll catch up soon. Thank you so much. And we're going to take a break, and who are we going to come back with? We've got Miranda Devine on some big developments with Comer versus Ray. Oh, my God. Stand by. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back. And joining us now here is the great New York Post columnist, Miranda Devine. Big developments, John, by the way, on uh, House Republicans versus Christopher Ray, the FBI director. Rand, are you surprised Christopher Ray uh, folded like a cheap suit last minute and now he's going to give that document? <laughs> I, 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 I hope we could just say he, had, he come up with some common sense and, and stood up as the FBI director and some of the political stuff going on at the Department of Justice. I would hope so, although remember at first he denied even the document existed until uh, James Comer said, you know what, we basically have seen it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, there is a document. But uh, anyway, go Terrible ahead. Terrible waste of time and energy. Well, look, I think that the FBI is just out of control, very arrogant, feels that it doesn't need to uh, bow to House oversight and congressional oversight, and of course it does, and so... I think it was very good that James Coleman, with the full backing of the Speaker, uh, Kevin McCarthy, decided that they would rein in Christopher Ray and force him to abide by the subpoena. I don't know why the FBI, the premier law enforcement agency, thinks that it can not obey the law and not obey a subpoena. But um, anyway, he's come to the party finally, but only after being threatened with being held in contempt of Congress, which would have been pretty bad for his, his legacy anyway. Uh, Miranda, it's Richard Weinberg. This points out the significance of the House being controlled by the Republicans because you'd never get the true story going all the way back about what really happened if the Democrats were in control of the House. What do you say? You're so right, Richard. And I think this has been the problem for the last you know, two years, the first two years of the Biden administration, is that really the Democrats ran everything. And, uh, you know, the Senate even it had to be a casting vote by Kamala Harris. And so there was just no oversight. They had everything their own way. Nancy Pelosi ruled with an iron fist. And so now I think the Republicans are doing a great job. And I think they're different from the Republicans of old because they're more cynical. They see what happened with the Russia hoax. Uh, they're not, um, they don't think that the FBI is wonderful. They realize the corruption that has crept into it. The same with the CIA. So I think there are much more hardened and more cynical and more ruthless uh, bunch of 
Republicans than we had when Donald Trump was president. You know, Miranda, I got to ask you about the big news. Um, just like what it was about an hour and a half or so ago, uh, Joe Biden's ask, uh, the, always the best when it's unscripted at the end. He clearly had very scripted questions, it seemed. And then it goes to, oh, no, I'm not supposed to answer. He takes a random question at this news conference he did. And someone asked him about the document, this Comer document, basically this document that Ray is finally going to show him. And in it, they said, uh, what about these allegations of bribery? This is very serious. And I'm glad it was NBC News, actually, that asked the question. Peter Alexander, host on Today's show. And Biden just kind of turned around and laughed. And he was like, show me the money. Uh, and then he said, oh, it's a bunch of malarkey. And then the follow-up was, are you influencing, you know, DOJ and FBI? Oh, no, not at all. But he was laughing. I mean, it's like, like, it, it, what was your reaction? Well, it was so bizarre. This is no laughing matter. He should be, you know, if it's not true, he should be outraged. Um, and the fact that he's not, I think, speaks volumes. Uh, this is a man who has lied continually throughout his career, but particularly he lied during the campaign to the American people when he said he knew nothing about his son Hunter's overseas business dealings. Of course, we know that he met with Hunter Biden's partners. Uh, And we also now have this document. So he says, where's the money? That's exactly what the Republicans are trying to find. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we get to the bottom of it so we know whatever the truth is. Uh, Miranda, thank you. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you so much. much. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and American way. way. God bless America. And I hope you buy CNN. (laughs) 